Welcome to the Carriage House Planning Report. I'm Casey Folt. I am the owner and principal of Carriage House Planning. Thanks for listening in with us today. Uh, it's really great having you. And uh, I hope that today's conversation is not only insightful, but hopefully brings to light uh, some of the uh, potential concerns or risks that you might be facing as you make financial decisions for yourself, your family, and your future self. Uh, hopefully by highlighting what we talk about today, you're going to be even better equipped to making sound decisions for yourself and for your, your portfolio. Um, the topic of today's conversation is really blind spots. The idea of blind spots it's not foreign to anyone. Uh, blind spots exist in, in all of our lives in, in various capacities, the most obvious being uh, that of, of a vehicle. Uh, we all know the classic blind spot in the back right and back left corner where uh, we, we may have a little bit of a difficult time seeing a, a car if they're sitting next to you. Um, but you know that's the most obvious. Um, blind spots are, are everywhere. And as it relates to investment decisions, financial planning decisions, frankly, any decision that you make in life, really the, the risk of blind spots is, is the fact that you, you don't know what you don't know. Therein lies the, the reality of a blind spot. Uh, a, a blind spot when driving, again, to use that most obvious case, is a situation where you don't know that there is a car in the back corner there. Um, the important thing, though, is recognizing that there is a blind spot, because if you don't know that there's a blind spot, that's a problem, because you don't know what you don't know. Um, if you know there's a blind spot, you recognize maybe you need to move or readjust your, your position so that you can potentially see what's in that blind spot. In the case of those who, who aren't aware of it, by not recognizing that there's a blind spot there, you're not going to do anything to avoid the potential risk that exists in that blind spot. So that's why I want to talk about blind spots because those exist just as prominently in our investment and financial planning decision uh, environment as they do on the road. And for the sake of today's conversation, what I've, I've done is I really want to boil blind spots down and distill them into three major groupings. Now there's going to be some overlap between these and of course, as with anything, and this is something that just seems to be lost in today's age and, and the world that we're in. Nuance exists. Let's just be very straightforward about that. That it is not a you know list of 10 things, this, or you know, here are the five things you must pay attention to that. In order to get information of any kind across to a larger audience, oftentimes it's beneficial to dial it into a digestible number of things, but the reality is is that these kinds of blind spots come in all shapes and sizes, but hopefully by targeting three uh, general categories, it will equip you with a greater understanding of what the blind spots are, how they impact you, and hopefully by the end of our talk today, I will be able to point out some tips, some tricks, and, and some general tactics that you can employ to not only avoid the dangers that exist in those blind spots, but even more importantly, recognize that those blind spots exist. So to kick things off, what are the three categories? Well, by, by my logic, I've dialed them into nearsightedness, farsightedness, 
and what I call the car crash blind spot. We'll start with nearsightedness. Nearsightedness, this is the idea that as with uh, optometry, your, your ability to see that which is immediate and, and close, that is not really hindered. The problem is you can't see clearly that which is in the distance. Now, with nearsighted blind spots as it relates to investing, finance, markets, the nearsightedness is really the general blind spot shared by many that leads to the creation of bubbles. Nearsightedness is that inability to see the consequences of a long-term scenario playing out, but instead only recognizing the potential benefits or immediate harm that is present right now. Nearsightedness is something that can be very contagious. I think that's an important char characteristic of it. And it is something that we all can fall prey to. And it's, it's easy to because it's instantaneous. It's right now. It's present. And for that reason, it is, uh, it, it's difficult to avoid in a lot of cases. And that's because the experience of life has a funny way of, of shading and coloring the way that things look. What kind of market scenarios might we look at in history that would highlight this nearsightedness? You know, the tech bubble is an obvious one that we can point to. I mean, we had companies at that time that didn't even technically exist that were already trading at 30 plus multiples. Another example of this would be the real estate market in 2006 uh, and 2007. I mean, it, it had really kind of started earlier than that, let's say 2004. But we saw this incredible ramp up in real estate and we were seeing headlines and and uh, quotes and commentary and everything else from, from Wall Street down to your next door neighbor who would say, yes, of course I'm, I'm buying another house or taking a second mortgage out because real estate never goes down in value. That was an assertion made by so many that was, of course, very short-sighted because, yes, it did go down in value. Now, another area where uh, short-sightedness or nearsightedness is ever prevalent is in college or the student loan marketplace. This is something that is a hot topic right now. I will likely focus on this in a future episode because it is something that needs to be discussed in a much more pragmatic and practical sense. Uh, politicians are wonderful at talking about only the aspects or the angles that benefit whatever position they're taking. But as the current administration is, is tossing around the idea of either forgiving student loans or, or something to that effect, what I wish more people would understand and, and what I will uh, do my best to, to highlight in a future episode is why the government created the problem in the first place. And, and there's a lot to it, so I won't dwell on that right now, but what I will highlight, college students in general, if we assume that 18 is when most people graduate high school, and then because of societal pressures, um, cultural pressures, future job market outlook, whatever the uh, impetus is, most 18-year-olds plan to go straight to college. There's no gap year. There's no time off. There's no time to really evaluate what they want in life. Uh, we go straight into college at, at 18. What's often conveniently overlooked by not only uh, parents, but students and, and society at large is that we have a lot of research in, in the uh, cognitive sciences as well as in the neurosciences that, that have virtually proven that the area of the brain known as the prefrontal cortex, it's an area of our brains that is responsible for 
what is, is deemed executive function. This is decision-making around long-term planning, around goals, around uh, the, the types of things that action today results in some type of uh, benefit long-term or consequence long-term. That area of the brain doesn't fully develop until you're somewhere between 25 to 27. Now, there's obviously some room to wiggle in there, 25, 27, it's a big window of time, but where there's not a lot of room to wiggle is that, for the most part, a four to five year degree started at 18, you're doing the entirety of your undergraduate work, you're building the, you're pouring the foundation for your presumed life career on assumptions that you're making when your ability to make long-term decisions hasn't fully matured. Therein lies one problem. But what we can look at in college students is great examples of nearsightedness because they don't have the capacity to create those rational long-term decisions and to analyze life outside of the near term. And that's why we end up seeing that because of the ease of borrowing in the student loan marketplace, we have students, and a lot of them, who have taken out significant loans not for their education, not for their eventual career benefit, not for any reason other than they wanted to go to Cancun for spring break. The number of student loan dollars that were not spent on curriculum or housing or uh, associated expenses is astronomical. That is a prime example of nearsightedness. Now, jump ahead. Let's move over to farsightedness. This is one that I'm intimately familiar with. Farsighted blind spots are usually the type of blind spots that I most commonly fall prey to. I have come to recognize that. That alone has been a incredible benefit because I can stop myself and recognize, uh, hold on, you know that you fall prey to these blind spots that are farsighted in nature. Is this one of them? And then it forces me to go into a more critical thinking mindset. Now, why do I fall prey to these? And perhaps you do as well. I fall prey to them, generally speaking, because I am a very abstract thinker. I have come to understand that the way that my mind evaluates the world around me and the different impulses and, and, and information that I receive, I tend to think in a very abstract fashion. That's how my brain tends to work. Because of that, it forces me to typically think in very big picture points of view and very long-term points of view. My, my mind naturally gravitates towards that. Because of this, I tend to fall prey to farsightedness. Farsightedness is effectively the opposite of nearsightedness. It is this idea that you have a very difficult time seeing outside of the much bigger picture events going on. If you tend to fall prey to those farsighted blind spots, you may miss out on a variety of opportunities in the present moment that need to be captured if your long-term, let's say, pessimistic point of view eventually does play out. The opposite would be if eventually you think that things are going to be uh, fairly positive long-term, you may not recognize the inherent risks and threats that are immediately present because you're so focused on, well, this is going to go whatever way in the future. Cases that I would, would you know, recognize is, imagine being an investor in the late 70s. We have um, 
hyperinflation that is is really really gaining steam in the late 70s to the point that it ultimately became significant hyperinflation you had uh, previously uh, several years before you had Nixon that officially took the dollar off of the gold standard in its most official capacity um, there were doubts about whether Fort Knox even had gold in it anymore you know what's the US dollar actually worth and all these other concerns were on the table now Long term, is that a good thing? No, here we are today and we're still facing many of the consequences of a lot of the decisions made then. Moving off of a gold standard for the US dollar, while that may not have inherently on its own been a bad thing, the idea that we've reached the point that we can print endless dollars without any long-term consequence, it, it, it's, it just is not going to work. There's going to have to be some other solution brought to the table. But again, if I'm in the late 70s and it's 2021 now, we're just now starting to maybe see that this isn't going to work long, long term. If you're so farsighted that you recognize in the late 70s, this is bad, this is bad, things are going to be bad long term, you might miss out on everything that happened from, I don't know, say 1982 to say 1999. If you were so concerned about the long term picture, you would have missed out on some of the most beneficial growth markets in history as far as investments are concerned and as far as wage and employment figures are concerned. If you were so you know, hell-bent on protecting against these big long-term problems, you would have missed out on all these opportunities. That's not a good thing. But the same can be said for when you see the good long-term. Maybe an example would be the bottoming of markets in uh, 2008. Technically speaking, uh, the the worst of the worst kind of happened in December of 2008, but the markets didn't actually bottom until 2009. So if you had a whole lot of cash, let's say you were the smart one who, because your indicators would have, you know, or your, your analysis or whatever it might have been, said, eh, I just don't like the way things are looking in 2007. Let's say it's it's... Uh, December or maybe January of 2008, I'm just going to go get out of the, the investment marketplace altogether. I'm going to stash the cash. Well, good for you. Great. Okay, you missed 2008's sell-off. But the problem is, is if in then December you go, actually, things are looking up, and then you went and put all that money back to work, what you may have missed was, yeah, things were actually bottoming, but there was still a little bit more to go, and that little bit turned out to be quite a bit between December and February of 2009. That matters. Again, that optimism would have then clipped off quite a substantial amount of that initial investment if you put all your money to work day one versus recognizing, ah, you know what, I'm going to look short-term and long-term. That is the notion of, of the far-sighted blind spots. Now, the third one, car crash blind spots. What is that? That is effectively, and, and you, you, you know the scenario, you've, you've seen this when you're on the road, you may have participated in this, you may have fallen prey to this blind spot, most of us do eventually. It's this idea that you're focusing on one risk or one catastrophe or one opportunity, but in doing so, your distraction by that thing has demanded that you take your eyes off of your own situation and your own opportunities, and things that are in your lane versus that which is on the side of the road or over there. News and, and, and media has been a big 
uh, driver of this particular blind spot becoming more and more significant for more and more people. Um, but that's to say that the media has never existed before. They always have been around. This has always happened. Uh, it, it certainly seems more so today, but that's not really the case. This is you know, the idea that if all eyes are looking one way, you may want to look the other way. If you're in traffic and there's a car crash, if everybody else is looking at that car crash, the one thing you don't want to be doing is looking at that car crash because chances are you got somebody behind you that's about to rear end you and you got somebody in front of you who's about to slam on their brakes. You need to be looking at your scenario. You need to be focusing your attentions on that which is right in front of you. But to say that you can completely ignore whatever that is over there is not what I suggest. Recognizing that you're subjected to this innate desire to look, know that that happens. Be okay looking, but also be swift and immediate in reminding yourself, that's not my plan. That's not my scenario. That's not my life. I need to look at what's right in front of me and the risks that are present to me. Warren Buffett, notably quoted as saying, be greedy when others are fearful and be fearful when others are greedy. This is the type of situation that can really make or break plans and people's successes through their own life and their own career. Now, what kind of market scenarios would, would be examples of this? 2011, there was all this media attention. Remember, 2008 and 9, we just talked about that a moment ago. 2008 and 9, we saw the market's bottom. We saw the ultimate bottom and the capitulation point in, in early 2009. 2011 came around and we saw all this fear uh, about double-dip recession. Panic. I mean, and, and it really was. And then you got these fat finger trades that ended up adding to that. And, and, you know, I won't get in market history, something that I'm interested in. I can't promise that you are. Frankly, I don't blame you for not being. But that became the, the talk of the town. We had 3% up days followed by 3% down days. It, it was very volatile, uh, very extreme. And there was a lot of chatter all the time. That should have been a sign that everybody's looking at a car crash and they're not looking at their own picture right in front of them. Um, and, and, that, that would be just a good example of this. Now, let's break away from just the sheer definitions of these three things, and, and let's actually look at currently how these three blind spots are affecting individuals. You know, this is, this is where the, you know, the current planner and the current investment advisor in me is, is going to pop out, and this is where I'm going to highlight sort of how, how you may be at risk of these three things, or at least where I see them most prevalent, these three blind spots right now. Number one, the nearsightedness. The Fed and the U.S. government, they are and have been kicking a can down the road. We're in a position that really started in 2007 and 8. We could dial it back actually much earlier than that, but the inflation mandate or the target inflation of 2%. Again, another topic that I won't over discuss today, but there's a really curious and very hidden history behind that magic number of 2%. What I wish I didn't have to report to you is it's a completely arbitrary figure. The only reason that that particular number was ultimately decided on was not empirical evidence. It was not research. At the end of the day, they pegged a number at 2%. And this is where the funny history comes in. Because a bunch of New Zealanders wanted to go on holiday vacation. 
Now, I'm going to leave you with that. I do encourage you, go look up New Zealand 2% inflation in the U.S. Federal Reserve and see what you find. There's some fun history there and also a bit discouraging because it highlights just how little science, and I don't want to use that word today because I think it's being you know, really overused, but how little of, of uh, logical input went into making that decision. But if we assume that 2% inflation rate, one of the things that's also not discussed quite often is the fact that they constantly change how they measure inflation. And they tend to change it to suit what they need it to look like. So just another problem there. But in the most immediate sense, short-sightedness. There was a recent report, we're here in, in the beginning of March right now, as we record this, March of 2021, the January uh, household income numbers came out. Now here is short-sightedness in its essence. All over the news, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, you pick your major publication, all over the news media on television, everything wanted to highlight the 10% personal income blowout for January. January household income rose 10%. This is an astounding number. This is the second highest number on print in history. The only time that it was higher than this was in uh, April of 2020, not that long ago. Well, why did it go up? Well, because everything's doing great. The economy is starting to rebound and lockdowns worked. No, no, that's not it. Um, because there's pent-up demand, because exports are really growing. The United States is doing great economic... Mm, nope, nope, that's not it either. The reason it went up so much is because... There was a 52% surge in government transfer payments. What are transfer payments? Welfare, stimulus checks, Medicare and Medicaid, Social Security. Well, Social Security didn't go up. A lot of my clients know that. Medicare and Medicaid, more often than not, didn't go up unless it was paying for uh, some kind of illness that was easily attributed to COVID. What it really came down to was the unemployment benefit, the additional stimulus that came out of the uh, decisions made in December, as well as the $600 stimulus checks. If you were to remove the government's transfer payments, household income was actually down 0.1%. And it was down 0.6% over the last 12 months. Now, I'll link to an article uh, on the podcast notes uh, that, that will go into deeper discussion of this, but that needs to be acknowledged. That is a blind spot. If all the news is highlighting just how great the economy is looking, they're not saying it's great now, but they're saying it's looking great, and that you as the consumer, you as the household are doing so great, are we building an economy on sound fundamentals or are we building an economy on the ability for the government to magically make money appear and put it in your pocket? You tell me if you really feel that creating something out of thin air is the way to build strength long term. If you feel that way, I could love to discuss it in more detail. I don't tend to be of that school of thought. Now, one of the other short-sightedness right now is just simply what's called the Fed put. The idea that looking at a scenario where the markets have really been racing since April of last year, when the Fed came out and the stimulus checks went out, the, the, the general markets 
have gone up, up, up. There's no doubt about that. Yes, they've seen some weakness in October last year, and then again in in you know end of February, just a couple of days ago. But that idea is not built on the future outlook of earnings of companies. It's not built on any long-term sustainable track. It's built simply on the fact that the Federal Reserve has come in and said, we'll do everything we can in our power to stabilize and support everything. Again, is this sustainable? Thinking long-term, not letting short-sightedness take hold, not falling prey to short-sighted blind spots, long-term, is this the kind of thing that you want to be betting the house on? It doesn't mean, though, that we fall prey to farsighted blind spots. It doesn't mean that we immediately say, nope, there's no opportunities to be had. Of course, there have been opportunities to be had. The problem, though, is they're short-sighted. So we need to be very vigilant and aware. Now, on a planning perspective, when does this occur or how does this occur? We just talked about two economic and market-driven or investment-driven applications of short-sightedness. When you're planning for yourself, I think one of the great examples is if you're in your work life, maybe you're in your peak earning years, um, more often than not, you're going to succumb to social pressures. You're going to be more... um, inclined to fall prey to that notion of keeping up with the Joneses. There are going to be impulses or or there's going to be pressure placed on you by your peers at work, your social peers, whatever it is to kind of do what they do, whatever it might be. And in a lot of cases, what I find with clients is they often pursue uh, hobbies or uh, expenses of some form or another, typically more expensive types, that they're really not actually interested in. It's not something that they care about, but they pursue it because they feel like they need to. Unfortunately, they either lose money on that venture long term or they forego what would have been or could have been a far greater longer term goal of theirs, something that they personally do enjoy or want to enjoy in the future uh, because they're they're being a bit short-sighted. They're not looking at it from the big picture. They're looking at it as this is what I have to do right now. Probably not. They probably don't have to do that right now. Uh, you know, I, you, can, you can say it's buying a boat or something like that. You know, how much is the carry cost of a boat? How much enjoyment will you get out of that boat? If you're a lifelong boater and you love going out on the boat and you go out on the boat every weekend and everything, then it's probably a good expense. Don't get me wrong. But if you're doing it because everybody else has a boat and you're going to go get a boat too, well, the expense of that boat, which I almost assure you you won't recoup, could have been money that was working towards either A, being work optional at an earlier time in your life, or maybe it's that escape vacation home in the mountains because you don't enjoy boating as much as you do getting up in fresh air of the mountains. Well, now you've forgone that because of short-sightedness. Know that that blind spot exists. Be willing to recognize it. When you have those impulses to go pursue something, think to yourself, Do I really want to pursue this or am I falling prey to a blind spot? Now, farsightedness. Where are we on that type of blind spot? Just the same as the Fed put scenario that I mentioned for the markets on short-sightedness, I could actually apply that exact same scenario to farsightedness. If you're so focused on the fact that this is not sustainable and you recognize this is not good foundational support for a growing economy, for long-term success, and you don't participate, you've missed out on a significant recovery in markets. You've missed out on significant growth opportunities. 
you've missed out on potentially recovering and seeing the opportunities immediately that wouldn't have otherwise been present without the thing that is eventually potentially causing long-term trouble. If you're you're so focused and your feelings and your emotions are so um, focused on the long-term ramifications, more often than not, you're going to have a very hard time justifying good short-term decisions that may need to be made. There's there's a, a couple of ways that I could could highlight this anecdotally, again, being that I tend to fall prey to these long-term uh, or, or far-sighted blind spots. But I think the best one that I can use is that personally, with my own assets that I've accrued and invest, um, when we worked into the the start of the declines that came at February and, and March of last year, 2020, with the COVID hysteria building up and, and the government-imposed shutdowns occurring across the board, supply chains were blocked up. This is when toilet paper went crazy. Uh, I, I had indicators that were that I monitor in the market, my proprietary methods for analyzing the market that ended up suggesting that I should be selling at the end of February and then I should be fully out of the market by the 10th of March. Now, if you look at the history of the broad pricing indices, the S&P, the NASDAQ, the Dow Jones, if I listened to these, which I did personally, if I listened to them, I, I, I would have been feeling on top of the world come March 20th, March 30th. The problem, though, was on the other side. I saw this occur, and I, my abstract thinking led me to analyze markets and look at the, the case in front of me and say, this is going to have long-term ramifications. This is going to be something that we deal with. This is not going to rebound or recover immediately. And for that reason, when my indicators signaled to me, hey, you've got the signals. It's time to put some money back to work. I was resistant. I was being repugnant. I was I was being foolish, and I acknowledged that I was being foolish. I did not think to myself, where are my blind spots? So I missed out on market improvement from really April through late May. Now, is it the end of the world? No, it's not. Am I going to justify my actions? No, I won't. They were just, it was me being stupid and falling prey to these very things that everyone falls prey to. I admit that to you simply because none of us are exempt from these. These have happened to all of us, but again, knowing that they exist, being vigilant and recognizing their presence allows us to then hopefully see them more often than we don't and potentially address them. Um, now, planning scenarios where farsightedness can be detrimental. One of the big ones is prematurely adjusting your portfolio risk exposure, your potential growth exposure uh, early on in your work optional years or, or what is traditionally known as your retirement years. That is something that so many people succumb to. Either they're leading up to retirement and they adjust their entire portfolio to a very, very low risk or no risk or what they think is low risk and no risk, but in reality, the underlying assets are riskier than they understand. You know, the classic you know, going into bonds at retirement. Well, if the bond marketplace is such low rates, it's not like these investments are going to be producing a huge amount of income. What are you foregoing? Because retirement or the work optional phase of your life is not one, two, three, or four years. More often than not, it's 20 and 30 years, if not more. So by prematurely adjusting, because you're looking at it as, I need to make sure that I preserve 
my my assets uh, and, and I can't subject them to market losses. Well, in doing so, if you're not subjecting them to market losses, you're probably also not subjecting them to the potential of market gains. If you do that too prematurely, you miss out on those early years where you don't need your entire portfolio. It's not like you spend all of your, your savings day one of retirement. That's not how it works. Uh, but that's a big problem. Um, another you know, similar scenario is when people start to, to allow their short-term uh, volatility fears um, you know, be a deciding factor on their long-term view of how markets will be in the future. They're very volatile right now, therefore they will be volatile into perpetuity, and for that reason, I can't subject my portfolio to the opportunities for growth. That's, that's really kind of a case of farsightedness in its you know, basic application. Now, the third one, the car crash blind spot. This is the one that, that you know, is, is look over here, focus here while the magician's behind the scenes really doing the magic trick. And then everybody goes, uh, what just happened? Um, you don't, you want to be the one that's not looking over here. You want to be watching that other hand. You want to be focusing on that other hand or more importantly, or more, you know, relative to, to this scenario or this analogy, you want to keep your eyes on your road in front of you. You want to not be focused on the car crash because you might be the car crash if you do look over there. Um, the recent craze in retail investing apps, these Robin Hoods and the similar, um, you know, nobody asked when they started to really gain public attention. This was really 2018 and 19 is when I started to hear about them uh, in, in common conversation with folks, but they they got a lot of attention in, in 2020 because of, you know, all the people who were not at work anymore. They, they had government imposed lockdown. They're at home. What are they going to do? They're, they're trading apparently. Well, nobody stopped and said, well, how do they make money if they don't charge for trades? If they don't, well, it wasn't until after the fact when this whole GameStop and AMC and, and Bed Bath & Beyond and all these, these shorted stocks, uh, you know, were, were a big attention getter. The Reddit thing played out in January and continues to, to go on, during this time, all of a sudden it's, oh, well, they were beholden to these market makers or, oh, they were, you know, making money and that, that right there is a classic case of car crash scenario. If you're driving along and, oh, look at this trading app and free trading and logic would say, well, I don't think there's anything for free. There must be something to this. But if you just simply are staring at it, you don't realize what's right in front of you. And there's plenty of opportunities. There's also plenty of risks, but they're risks that will directly impact you. Don't necessarily find yourself getting caught up with that. Um, there's also, in today's world, there's no shortage of a preoccupation with political matters as it relates to your personal decision-making and your personal planning. It's one thing if the political environment uh, presents real tangible scenarios that will impact your planning. These are tax changes. These are estate law changes. These are, and they are present, they're here. But the social and cultural things that are so prevalent in political discussions, these are the car crashes. The more you can avoid staring at those, the more you're going to be able to keep your eyes and your emotions on what's important, which is your life and your scenario. More often than not, DC does not actually impact your daily life but your emotional mind is going to convince you that yes, they do. 
they really don't. The folks in the DC Beltway, they're there as entertainment more often than not. But again, real changes do occur um, and cultural changes may influence you personally. You may not like that and that's okay, but don't let that cloud your judgment and don't let that distract you from your plan and your trajectory. Now, on a planning basis, you know, one of the big ones that I see here, car crash uh, uh, blind spot, is the number of people who opted to take Social Security early over the past three to 10 years um, because of government shutdowns and funding issues and debt and and they're not necessarily looking at the real details. They're not talking with a professional about what's most probable and what's most likely. They took Social Security at age 62. They end up hamstringing themselves from long-term reliable income. Big problems result from that because they weren't necessarily looking at their trajectory and what their plan would be most benefited by. Instead, they were looking at the car crash. Um, another case is... is you know, when you're work optional, if you're so busy focusing on the news and the social media and all the stuff that's out there that's just stirring you inside, you very well may be missing out on the thing you worked so hard for. You work really hard to be work optional. You need to enjoy it. You gave a good portion of your life and your life's work to a career, to another business, to your business, to whatever it is. It's time for you. Don't let these things put a dark shadow and a dark cloud on top of your head. Don't be distracted by the car crash. Focus on your road in front of you. Let me close out with a couple of little tips and hints. These are the types of things that I will use as, as my call to action. This is you. This is where you can step in and do something a little different. For the nearsightedness, for the short term, a financial plan is one of your greatest assets. And that's not to say call Carriage House Planning and we'll work with you to create a financial plan. Yes, of course, I'd love the opportunity to talk with you and see if we'd be a good fit for your planning. But more importantly, having a financial plan allows you in those moments of either short-sighted weakness or near-sighted weakness, in those moments where something's happening right in front of you and it's so hard to ignore, it's calamitous or it's opportunistic or whatever, and you say, I, I either have to participate or I, I'm scared to death and I have to run away, Go to your plan. Go revisit your plan because your plan is more often than not calculated and designed not to be a fixed tool. It will change. It will evolve. But it's also designed and calculated typically when you're clear in your thinking. You're looking at things in a very practical, long-term perspective and you're trying to evaluate for and plan for risks like whatever it is that might be present in the short term. Likewise, the opportunities that might be present in the short term that seem too good to be true, they probably are. And if your plan to get you where you want to go doesn't require you participating, why take the inherent risk to do so? There's no need to. So a plan can be a huge uh, area of, of confidence and, and immediate um, kind of soothing of what might be uh, emotional turmoil, positive or negative. <clears throat> um, you know, recognizing the importance of absolutism at times. I mentioned that with car crash blind spots. The same can be said here in short-sightedness. Don't always gravitate towards that which others are doing. Look at your scenario and recognize whether it's appropriate for you. One of the other tools that I offer to clients, if they simply can't resist opportunities, it's the next hot thing. If they're early adopter type people, 
I will carve out a portion of their portfolio that we designate as play money. It's Vegas money. This is money that by design, you can lose it and it won't impact you long term. This is money that you could technically wad it up, throw it in the trash can, and you won't be worse off long term if you did that. Of course, you probably don't want to do that. But for that reason, you can go and play. And if you hit the jackpot, by golly, I will give you the high five, handshake, and everything else. But if they don't pan out, or if they pan out and you don't get out fast enough, it's okay. It doesn't affect you long term. Those are the tools that I usually rely on to avoid the short-sightedness. Now, far-sightedness, having discussions when times are good, but remembering the plans that are made and the decisions when times are not as good is so important. It's just like with short-sightedness. Recognizing the importance of the plan, but also revisiting because trajectories change. So this is the contrast to the short-sightedness. Your plan, it's a working, living thing. This is not something that you set and forget. Tax environments change. Uh, uh, income, as far as your job, can, can change, positive and negative. All these different factors change. Be willing to change with them and see the opportunities that exist in those changes immediately, right now, in the moment. One of the other big things, though, is having and sticking to an investment approach that is built on a discipline, a predefined discipline. If this happens, then we do this, no questions asked. If this happens, then we do this with some analysis. Or if this happens, we go and start to evaluate that, whatever that is. These are three different types of ways that you can do it, but the idea is a predefined discipline prevents you from making emotional, irrational decisions in the moment, and it also affords you, as a person who is farsighted, who doesn't necessarily see the opportunities that exist today and the threats that may exist today if you're more optimistic long-term, it allows you to then rely on that discipline to help guide you through the short-term kind of ebb and flow of the tides. One of the last things for, for farsightedness is, is recognizing how much can change in a relatively short amount of time. I think that's discounted by a lot of folks that do have longer-term perspectives. A ton can actually change in a very short amount of time. COVID, whether you agree with how things were handled or not, it, it has changed how business will be conducted in the future. Some of these changes are not permanent, but the fact that some of them are permanent and they happen within a few months, that's just a good case in point of how quickly things can actually change. You need to be willing to adapt and to change with them. The ability to adapt to change is one of those fundamental differentiators between some of the most successful people and those who unfortunately fall prey to their own perhaps brilliance because they weren't able to adapt to change. They could see what was in the future, but they weren't able to adapt and change along the way. Now three, the last one, this is the car crash type of blind spot. The tactics that I mentioned for the first two types of blind spots, nearsighted and farsighted, they, they can work here. Um, but recognizing that A, it's okay to be contrarian as long as you have a sound, logical, and justifiable reason for being so. Don't be contrarian for contrarian's sake, because that's where you end up falling prey to those farsighted blind spots. That's where you miss out on the opportunities. The, the last tip is recognize it's okay to glance. It's okay to 
see it and acknowledge it, but be aware that that might be just a distraction. It probably is just a distraction. Get your eyes back in your lane, back on your road, back on, on your trajectory as soon as you possibly can. I hope that these three uh, kind of highlighted concepts are beneficial for you. I hope that simply by knowing that these three categories exist, when you're making decisions and you're analyzing your environment, your world, the, the decisions that you're making long-term and short-term, I hope that by knowing that these three things are there, that we all face them and that you're no exception, you're going to be able to then evaluate your kind of logical process and say, am I falling prey to these things? Am I potentially missing something? At least now you know that you might be missing something. You're aware of that blind spot existing. You may not be able to see what's in it, but by knowing that it's there, you're well equipped to then say, maybe I need to change my point of view. Maybe I need to you know, move in my seat a little bit and look out the side window just to double check before I change lanes or whatever it is. Um, I hope this is helpful. Carriage House Planning, that's what we're all about is helping you achieve your financial freedom. This is just one of the many ways that we do it with our clients. And if you feel that either you're not working with a professional yet and you feel that it would be beneficial to do so, or if you're working with a professional and you recognize that they're not working with you towards your financial freedom, please do give us a call, reach out to us. You can find us on the internet at carriagehouseplanning.com. I'd love to schedule some time to, to introduce myself, but more importantly, get to know you. And in the meantime, have a great rest of your week. Enjoy the weekend and um, have a great one. Talk to you later. Investment advisory and financial planning services are offered through Carriage House Planning, LLC, a registered investment advisor authorized to do business in states where registered or otherwise exempt from registration. Nothing discussed during the show should be viewed as investment advice. If you have questions pertaining to your specific situation, please contact us at 727-643-8666, or you can schedule an introductory meeting via our website at www.carriagehouseplanning.com.